Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. And then there was only two, and no surprise, the two teams that had the week off, first and second, all year for the majority, for the majority of the season. The Panthers only losing one game in the resumption of COVID. The Melbourne Storm, they lost four, but let's be realistic, two of those, they rested basically the majority of their side. So these are the two best teams all year. I think we got the right grand final, bro. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. You don't always get that, but this year we were... Uh, fortunate enough to to get the two best teams. I think the as I said last week in the prediction, the the week off was just in my opinion was going to be a huge advantage, and it proved to be the case. Even though you know Penrith, I think tried their best to throw that game down the road at a few different stages, but I, and I probably think the heavy legs of South in the end told because they they were just as poor and made nearly as many errors, or if not as many. Um, close enough to as many as what Penrith did so no good weekend of footy it was a shame that Friday night's game blew out early and it was sort of over it wasn't much of a game to watch you know you'd probably argue you were happy that they skipped Um, away but I was looking for I was just looking forward to two close games yeah I definitely thought we were going to get a better game Uh, but no it's I really uh, this is probably the most difficult grand final to predict I'd probably have to go back to Melbourne, Cronulla. I really didn't have a strong feeling heading into that game, and I I don't really have a strong feeling heading into this game either. So well, I think, yeah, I think you might be right. I was confident. Twenty seventeen, I think, was a shoe in. Yeah. Without being too harsh, eighteen, I tipped the Roosters. Some said I was doing my reverse hoodoo, but I just wasn't confident. And the Roosters dusted us last year. I was adamant on the Roosters. It was closer than what I expected. But the last few years, I've been pretty confident of the winner. This one, I can see both ways. And then the bigger factor that comes in probably for the first time in a few years is weather. Generally, the last few years, we've taken this on face-to-face value, dry track, you know, square game. But the talk is there's going to be massive rain over the weekend. So that could completely change the dynamic of this game. And in all honesty, I know a wet grand final could bring a point of difference but that I think it's a little disappointing if that is going to be the case because these two under the new rules on a dry track I think would be absolutely outstanding whereas a wet weather game I'd say is probably more conducive to the old style of football when we did have a bit more wrestle and a lot more set play and things were a bit slower like the wet weather probably didn't factor in as much but this year under this set of rules and the changes that have happened um, I think it definitely could bring a point of difference to this game. And again, I generally in the past would have said to you, in wet weather football, I'll take Melbourne hands down. But in these circumstances, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm really not. But 
I think we've got, like you said, the right grand final. We've got the model of consistency, basically, a grand final every two years for the last decade. Um, there have been four in the last five now. You said it a million times, and we'll say it again. The liquid man from the Terminator. Every time someone writes them off, tries to cut them down, says this won't work. There's not a half. Who are these blokes? They've lost these people. They just keep on coming. And Penrith, a breakthrough. And we say every year that we're looking for somebody new or someone to emerge or stay up there or, or challenge, and we've got one. We've got a youthful team. Shades of 03, a lot of people have brought through. Heaps of juniors, father-son, coaching combination, um, all these parallels that have been drawn. But more importantly, hopefully a contender for the next few years to come and somebody into that mix that we've seen that's basically consisted of the Roosters and the Storm. And, you know, South have been in the last couple of prelims, not quite got there. Manly was good for a decade or so. Like we've had a couple poke their nose in there, but realistically we've seen a shootout most years between the Storm and the Roosters for a long time now. Yeah. So anytime someone new emerges, I think it's a good thing. I'd have to say after the weekend, even though the result wasn't great, that I think Canberra's here to stay as well. They've finally got themselves in a position where roster and depth and the situation they've got down there is probably going to be conducive to them being a consistent top four or at least top eight side every year, just bar injuries, um, so on and so forth. So there you go. Kick it off, set of six, tackle one. We've pretty much covered it, but going over that point, we said it last week, we said it again, we've talked about it all year. I think the weekend off paid dividends differently in both games. Melbourne, obviously, fresh as a daisy, come out and blew the Raiders off the park. They were quite relentless in the early stages. Uh, on the flip side for Penrith, probably a bit too much energy, a little bit nervous at times, forced some errors. Um, but I think at the cr- crunch times of the game or when things mattered or they needed to come up with a big defensive play or find something, you could definitely look at the two teams and they look the better of the two. They looked like they had more to give, they had more in the league. Well, they, they looked the better side, but they didn't bank the points. No, nah, they bombed a lot of opportunities. They bombed a lot of opportunities. So, yeah, I definitely think they were the better side, but the scoreboard certainly didn't reflect that. No. And it made for a pretty nervous final 10 minutes for Panthers fans. I know, I think Yowie scored in about the 13th minute. Uh, and South hit back, I think, with you know, eight minutes maybe to go. So, yeah, it just made for some nervous, nervous times. And, you know, if that Adam Reynolds kick is just behind the line, who knows whether Penrith held oh. on for that set. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a game of inches. But, you know, in the first half, I agree with what Ivan Cleary's had to say in his press conference. They left at least 18 points out on the field in oh, the first well, half. The forward pass. Well, the Jerome Luai kick. Jerome Luai back inside should have just passed. And I think Nathan goes close. If not, he tips inside. Instead, Jerome kicks in the posts. Uh, second half, there was a couple again. Crichton beat a couple and got dragged down centimetres out. Yeah. He ended up with a ball on his hands but was dropped off balance it. and dropped it cold. There was multiple opportunities, I, you could say, went begging for you know, the Panthers. And I, I think also just opened them up. They opened them up a couple of times there and got a bit excited, like when Nathan threw that cutout pass that he didn't need to, generally not part of his yeah, game. Exactly. They, they bombed several. South had their moments, but I thought for the most part in the first half, whenever Penrith could hold the ball for a set or two, they were in full control. Second half, yeah, South probably had a good 20-minute period there where you felt like they were slowly starting to get on top and then Penrith struck with Yo. But, uh, yeah, I think the week off, like we said, most years it's a big thing, but this year in particular, it paid dividends. It really did. Yeah, uh, Penrith, I think, probably exerted a bit more energy than Melbourne, but on the flip side of that, they're a much younger side. Do you think they'd bounce back regardless of that? They, and they get one less day recovery as well. They're in a better position, I think, just from a youth perspective. But Melbourne um, have also got to travel and Penrith don't, so yeah. Yeah, that probably 
point Even of difference. Yourself up, yeah. Melbourne have got a bit of an advantage in that they're going to be able to travel the night before, not the day of the game, which has been, I guess, the done thing uh, for the majority of the season. But I, I don't think any of that will play a huge role in this. I, I think the teams will decide it. Hopefully the referee doesn't get in the way of it. Uh, yeah, and, and we just we see a good game of footy. That's all I want. Yep, 100% with you there. Tackle two, the Daily M blunder. Oh, my God, Matt. The Daily Telegraph. <sighs> Posted the fucking votes before the Daily M's were even concluded. What an absolute Well, they didn't post the votes. They posted the winner. Mate, they posted the round-by-round round votes and the winner. They posted all of it. Oh. They gave it all away while it was happening. Like, I had a friend send it to me because I watched it on delay, and I was just about to kick it off. I, I'd let it get about an hour in, so it must have been fairly early. And he sent me a photo going, do you know what this is? And because the photo starts small, I didn't know. Otherwise, I wouldn't have looked. I clicked on it, and the first thing I see is all the names, final score, voting rounds. I'm like, they surely haven't done it. And then Buzz, obviously, during the broadcast or later on in the broadcast, put a post up saying that uh, they'd obviously gone early <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the voting and the results. Well, it wasn't Buzz. No, it wasn't Buzz. It was a telegraph, mate. It was my bosses, mate. said that someone from the telegraph, they've gone off early... They've well, shot whoever, out the gate um, like a sea do and they've just... They've whoever it was, it. they're now on JobKeeper. Oof. Um, Ruth. Mm. What a badger out there. Oh, it's amateur hour, really. I, and this is where, I'll say it again, why we have papers and journalists essentially running elements of our game is just beyond me. How the NRL can't keep this water tight it's just another example of just something that Volandis hasn't obviously got his magic wand across because this won't happen again under his watch. Uh, it'll just be taken away from the papers full stop. I, I personally don't believe a vote of the Dallium should ever be publicised until the night of. I like the way the AFL do it. They do it round by round. They make a night of it. The, the whole shit last night where... You've got Yvonne Sampson basically interviewing players with the same stock standard, yeah, cliche was, answers. It dragged out. It's just rubbish. I want to see the highlights of the games. I want to see the panel there discussing who should have got votes. I want, to, I, want to, I want it to be about the football, not about the tuxedo wearing and the cliche fucking repetitive questions. It's, it's just become an absolute piss take. Uh, and even, even the last round, they basically just said, oh, these are the three players and here are the here are the votes. I think the other point, we've made this before, and I, we saw a bit of it tonight. In all honesty, I think most years there is the correct winner for most years, and sometimes someone goes close. Do you think this thing. was the incorrect winner? This one I thought was the incorrect winner, not to the extent where I'm sitting here saying Jack didn't have a good season. I thought Jack was outstanding, but I don't. the fact that this award, and again, people say, well, people took votes off him, that's the way it's always been. I get that, but... Out and out, all you've heard all year, and again, people go, oh, well, that's the wrong argument, was Nathan Cleary. How good's Nathan Cleary been? Like Every judge, every journalist themselves who said the opposite tonight were the ones saying that he was a shoe in He didn't need the six points back. He was going to win it by a mile. Um, and in the end, he didn't. I, I just... There are a few games there, though, like that I went to live, and I, I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he had as many dominant games and as And you're Jack. also... The other thing is that it was only a twenty game season as well. Yeah. I just more look at it this way though. And didn't he have didn't he have wasn't he out for two games? 
Yeah. So it was only really an 18 round season for... As a model of consistency for, for every single game, if you add an up out of 10 votes over a year, I think he was the best player this season. Well, we don't know that because we didn't vote, vote ourselves. So. I don't like the voting system, not because I just... Like, if people do take votes of each other, this, that and the other. My biggest issue, and I don't have an issue with the result then, is the judges themselves because half the ex-players take the piss. People go, oh, it's the journal. it wasn't the journos. It's voted on by ex-players. They made that change a couple of years ago because that was a complaint made. The NRL rectified it. But let's be honest. like We had the Ryan Sims thing last year where she put votes in without watching a game. We know for a fact that you hear multiple times about people that are supposed to be watching games or supposed to lodge votes that you know basically haven't watched the game and they just mail it in. So if you want to talk about yeah, the credibility the, 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 of I think, an award and the consistency of an award, it's not that fucking credible when you've got people... But why are they publicised? Why, why are the votes publicised? But I, I don't think they should be publicised until the night of the Daily M's. No, make, make it a spectacle. It's linked with a paper. Well, that's, that's there, my point. Go back to my original point. Get rid of the association well, with the paper. Didn't it start because of the daily, uh, the Telegraph? Though, I don't know. I don't concept. care. I don't so. care about what the history of the award is. Yeah. It's it's past its use by date. So if Let's start it, it fresh. And... The NRL should just go, listen, it's all going to be in-house. Yeah. It's going to be a three-hour event on TV from 7.30 until 10.30. We're going to go through round by round and we're going to break it down. And if you, if you don't like that element of it, don't watch because I'm telling you, the footy nuts like us and the listeners will eat that shit up. We will love that. I'm fine with it. But yeah, like I said, I the, think... The crap that we saw last night where they want to just blah, 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 blah for five minutes about nothing, and then they rush through three rounds at a time in yeah. two or three minutes. It's just... It, it's complete shit, I, in my opinion. Yeah. I, and it's, it's slid that way for a long time. In terms of the, the right winner... I. I don't know. I'd have to go through and, and break it down round by round and watch every game. He was dumb. I, I think um, Back into the season, Jack Whiten's had a great year. And, awesome. and look, I, I said six weeks ago that I, I'd be picking him for 5-8 for New South Wales. I don't see how now Brad Fittler doesn't pick him as 5-8 for New South Wales. He's won the Daly M. He's better than Cody Walker. He is better than Luke Keery. So... Probably looking at his centre stocks though and thinking, well, if I can have him there, he's as not well, a centre. Well, he's proved he can play. He's centre. not a centre. He's just won the Dally M as the best player We've seen at 5'8". In origin, play out of position. Not a chance. We'll see all the time. I, I think it'd be ridiculous to play him at centre. Anyway, yeah, it, it was a frustrating night, is how I'd describe it. Mm. Uh, I and, think everything and look, else. Nathan Cleary had a fantastic season. To finish in the top three is a, a great achievement. We've seen favourites go down before. Yeah, I didn't think it was a massive upset. Uh, but but like I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to lay judgment and, and jump up on a soapbox and say that I know more than judges or I know more than anyone else listening because I didn't go through and vote on every game and every round. Back to what you said in terms of judges mailing it in, that happens. There's games where you just go, they're absolute head scratches. So That's my point, though. If, you, if your job is to watch those games and you take it on, you've only got to watch one a weekend. If you've got that role, take but there's it not a consistent panel of judges anyway. I don't think is there. I think it's eight players, and it rotates every weekend. I think there might be a few. I don't think there is. Eight. I think there's more. They generally watch. Some of them get a game every weekend, or at least every second weekend. But if mm. you've got one game to watch and you're part of something, and we want it to be really credible, is more my point. Yep. You need to fucking take it. Oh, seriously. there's no. Mate, how many times have we seen the Clive Churchill fucked up? Oh, multiple times. But I, I look at that and then I go back to the point of again... That's another one where they say, oh, it's got to be in in the 70th minute. The, well, the NBA... Uh, that's 80. The NBA one I like for the fact that there's 
long-time journalists. There's ex-players. There's a panel of people. They have a vote. And if you go off what would have happened this yeah, year, it, feels the same. it probably would have been clearing off the opinion that was out there. And again, I'm not saying... To me, it wasn't a huge upset. Like If you go off the way but the I system... Think, I don't think if there was 100 voters, he would have had 90 votes. No, but I think he would have won the award. I, I agree. I think but he would I, have I, do, I do think the that... The majority of the, the votes to win it wouldn't have been unanimous. But who I, would you have voted for if it wasn't Nathan Cleary? Probably Jack would have been in the mix. Yeah. Definitely would have been in the mix. And I think, again, that's what I mean. This system rewards... I, 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 yeah, I believe he's a deserved winner. I, I certainly didn't think it was a shock. I, I was shocked that Cleary didn't win it, but that was more because everyone was saying he's a, he's a lay-down Mazair. And you just think, well, if people he's are saying points. that, then obviously looked at the fucking... Looked at the votes and knew. And it, that's true. People knew at 3 o'clock on the, the day of the vote, which is... A whole other issue in terms of the integrity of the ward mm. in itself. So, the journalists should not know. Like, to say that they've got to go to print the next day is ridiculous. Most people read the paper online anyway. Yeah. You can you can write a story within half an hour, an hour, and, and publish it. So I, I don't see how it's. Well, you know, are you going to go and buy the paper because of the Daily M story? No, look on the. You're going to you're going to you're going to well, but you're going to look at the result on the night. You're probably going to have watched the award. You're not really looking for the breakdown and the analysis of the award. No. I think we live in a world now where you want your information now. You're not then going to go and buy the paper the next morning. I think there'd be a small percentage of people who are from that old school who love buying the paper and, and would digest it that way. That's fine. But I think for the majority of us, that excuse that, oh, we need to know and we need to pen a story. Hmm. But the argument... It's or, only fraught with danger anyway, like we saw last night, if yeah, it gets posted early. The argument as well that some of the votes goes the other way, where people go, well, how did Gutherson not win after the way he played in the last game? But he got a vote in the Penrith game where they didn't score a point. And I thought, there's no way you're in the top three yeah. in that game. So that's my point. But I that's your whole... That, that's, that's there's the, the basis of your the, argument. The bigger part for me is judging, not so much the way it works and again Jack to me definitely had a few more home run hitting games where he was the difference where he scored a couple of tries had bigger moments and he racked up more threes mm. he also lost George Hodg- Hodgson and probably didn't have many other people taking points off in Barpa Parley in some of those games and Nicole Klockstad no had a an, an okay season he wasn't yeah, but let's put it this way how often do props get points even if they've had a blinder I said that to my wife last night it's not very I said if you, if like you when think Blocker Roach votes give, on a game he usually might throw a middle in there, but if it's a half like Brandy yeah. or someone else, you generally look, or Laurie Daly does a game, they generally And that was my point. argument so with Gutherson last night. This right? is why I like the, the, the MVP system where you vote, because yeah, we're taking obviously. away that subjectivity of some of the judges. But it's still a team middles. sport. Yeah, I know, but some guys look at middles more so, favourably or halves more favourably. Would favorably. you rather be a part of a good team and have votes taken oh, off you or be a part of a shit team and get all the votes? But right? I think we The get... Gutherson one, I, I said last night, like Moses didn't have a great year. No. Um... The Brown would have got some Ma- points, Mahoney but not enough. Mahoney was, was okay, but he's not going to pinch votes. And Dylan Brown was injured for a lot of the year. So straight away, like if you if Parramatta win and you know they, they win my well, it means gonna, that key players... They're not going to vote for Paulo and a couple of the that's other That's my point. Yeah, that, that's exactly my so point. So I reckon that's my whole basis. Not a, not a, the they white, should be, though. The white result on that. It's yeah. more... I think the MVP... Who had a better vote. year, Campbell Gillard or Gutherson? Gutherson probably, but... I think, I think Campbell, Gillard, Campbell Gillard, Gillard and Paulo were just Campbell as Gillard good. was good for half a year and then flattened out. I think Paulo had a better year than those yeah, two. But in terms of votes, how many, game, is, how many games did they win? I think the best way is if all those guys had a one-off vote, I think we'd get the right result most years because I think it's pretty obvious. Mm. This system leaves that room to chance and there's also, like I said, the flaws in the judging and the consistency of what... There's, there's too many loopholes in this system to get it wrong. Generally, we end up getting to the right result. Well, the system hasn't changed in 20 years. Either, but so. I think it could be tightened up a little bit. 
a little bit. Mm. I don't think tightened up. I think just scrapped. So I'm not saying the, the, like I said, Whiten. And I'd do it as the worthy winner. I would do it as the uh, rugby league week. Mm. Well, that's the other way to go, and that's my point about Nathan. Every player gets a rating, so every player gets a score. No one's disadvantaged. Nathan wouldn't have got less than a seven or an eight probably for almost every game he played this season. Mm. And you saw in the if you go back and have a look at the rugby league week player of the year awards, there was a few middles that won that award. Yeah. Steve Cross won it, I think. Point. They're awarded. It's 04. subjective to what their job is and how they yeah. played. So it's a better system. I think it's a, yeah, a, a, and more equal and more fair. And award. on the flip side, it shouldn't take, like when Tom Lolo played for North Queensland, to be the heart and soul of the team and have to rely on wins to get votes. If you're the best player on the field, yeah. even if you're not in the best team in the competition, if you're the best player in the NRL, you should win the award. You shouldn't be affected by just your team's results. If you are individually the best player and we're giving this award as the best player in the comp, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to come from the Panthers if they've lost one game this season because there are consistently guys across the board. You could be bottom of the eight, but if you are that dominant or that just much of a standout... I, yeah, and that, I'd probably move then to say, well, why can't we have an award that's voted on by ex-players and call that maybe you know your proven summons or whatever and then have an award that the players vote on? That's the most valuable well, player. They've got Every the players' player. champion, but I, I get I, that. But I also think you then you then get two players. You get one where it's been people viewing have judged it, and one where people are actually playing against that person and they judge it. I think you could you could easily have two awards. For their award too, though, I, I think there's also not so much the season. Like they they usually vote sometimes on somebody and go, oh, we think this guy is the best player on his day, which I'm fine with. But they don't. A few of them I've looked at last few years and gone, well, you don't think he had the best season. Like Tedesco's won last year I had no problem with I think Ponga won it the year before I don't think he had the best season he was good but I don't think he was the best player but yeah I think for the most part it's got the right result but there's some holes in it the judging could be tightened up you could go to that MVP system but um, yeah I think there's a way to make it better that's for sure and like you said as far as coverage goes they could definitely do a better job um, trying times this year different circumstances but nevertheless it's a matter they could have broken, down, broken it down round by round yeah most definitely tackle three Cameron Smith, it's been talked about, it's been talked about, it's been talked about, but I think if we've ever got a bigger sign, walked off, waved to the crowd, pulled up, again, not by his will, but Bellamy basically said in the press conference, if it was his last game, he wanted him chaired off. I like I, I thought for the most part, the most of the time, that he was going to be retiring. I think all those bits and pieces and the way they handle it, I think it's pretty much a fait complete, and they've just tried to keep it in-house and he doesn't want to talk about it doesn't want it to be about him and it'll be talked about after the game but after the weekend I'm almost more than certain now that he's going to be retiring I'm almost certain he'll play on where at I think it's a pile of shit I, I, what, what makes people think that he's going to play on because he waved at the fucking crowd and got cheered off he hasn't said anything and indicated anything that he's not going to play I, I genuinely believe he won't he doesn't know and I genuinely believe he'll get to the end of the year and go no I'm going to play again He's playing as well as ever. You're a long time retired. The, this whole crap about, well, you know, if he if he doesn't win or if he loses, it's not about winning and losing. The guy's won more trophies than he knows what to do with. He's not motivated, I think, by winning and losing. I think he's just playing. motivated by playing. And I think he's playing as well as ever. And I, I, I honestly believe he'll play on. That That's where my head's at. I'm happy to be the unpopular opinion, but I really look at it and just think, again... We have all these people who want to get on a soapbox and have an opinion and feel as though they're entitled to know what he is and isn't doing. I don't think we're entitled when to know. It's, 
none of none of his business to start with. And you know, really, the the only person who and the only organisation he needs to clear that with is the Storm. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he would have had private conversations with the Storm around what he is, what he isn't doing. I, I don't think it's as this complex web that everyone's trying to work their way through at the moment. I, I genuinely believe he doesn't know what he wants to do because his focus is on playing. His focus is on trying to win. Said it, but it's why I get when the Sydney media in particular, the ones going, it's about him and he's being selfish. Uh, and it's all yeah, complex. They, it's all I don't want to go over that crap they, because they keep it's this whole house. fucking Sydney versus. Uh, New South Wales, Queensland stuff. Like, oh, I love that, Cameron Smith. They match I, Melbourne every chance they can get. Oh, yeah, whatever. I, I don't care about that. I just... Personally, I think he should play on. I think he's far, he's far too good to retire. You know, if he if he says, I've fucking had enough, I'm tired, and I, I, I want to give it away, that's fine. But I, I certainly don't think it's a physical thing. It's I think it's more a me- mental thing. And maybe, you know, he goes, I want to spend well, more situation. time with my family or whatever it is. But I, I can't see why he wouldn't play again. Unless he just thinks, well, I've had enough. And I, to me, his form and the way he acts, and, you know, you, you've only got to go back to the, the chase on the weekend where he gets Kotrick, holds him up over the line, and then gives him a facial. That shows, shows me he's more motivated than ever Lovely. and excited as ever to play. I, mate, I, I've, I could be horrendously wrong, and I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I'm wrong, but I, I believe he'll play on. Well, if he play to me, if he plays on, I want it to beat Melbourne. I don't want it to. Oh, be look, I'd, I'd love it to be. The I, Titans, I don't want to lose but... Harry Grant, but if that was the case, but I, in the situation he's in now, when you're the record breaker again, I'm a traditionalist. I'd rather see him stay at Melbourne. Yeah, that's my point. I, I don't think it, it doesn't take away from him one bit at all, but I wouldn't want that personally if I'm him and I've done everything I've done at Melbourne, Australia, Queensland, most games, etc. Everything that he's done down there, I wouldn't want a random season or two elsewhere. I'd want it to be all at Melbourne if I play on or either if I retire. And as a fan... But you look across world sport, there's not many players that, that ever really... But this is the most finished all-time... Ca- I don't think we're going to see anything close to this for a long time. People keep saying, oh, with the sport science, they're going to get close to 4 Forget sport science and lasting physically. You have to play to that standard for this long to get that many games. He's played to that standard. And I don't think his is all to do with sport science. He plays the smart game. He's smarter than everybody. His football IQ... The way he plays the game, I think, has got him through more than any sports science or any of that side of the bullshit. The bloke's just one step ahead of everyone and has been the, his whole career. Mm. So I don't buy into the fact that someone's going to hunt down this record suddenly. Because I also don't science. see the fascination in it. I, I don't see why people want to know and why they don't want to know. And really, what's the difference? They they give him a standing ovation. The and media, they do the, a little bit of a the big tribute. drum is the hookers. They're, they're still the going to do a tribute. The storylines they take off. Look at look at what it did to. Thurston, like he spent the whole year saying fucking goodbye and not focusing on his footy. So, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't interest me. Like if he pulls it up on the weekend and says that's it, I go okay. It's been good. Win, lose or draw, I'm not judging him based on whether he he wins, loses or draws. He's no way. He's won a shitload of comps, played in a shitload of grand finals. Um, he's probably a part of the greatest run of grand finals as an organisation. Outside of the St George Dragons, you know, going back to the 60s. And the most consistent team of the past 15 years or so since Bellamy got in control of it. Well, who's, who's been more consistent than them? As far but as no ap- one appearances, in the, but as far as year to year. No one in the last 30 years. No one. No one in the last 40, 50 years has gone anywhere near Melbourne. But I, I'd argue that. I'd, I'd, I'd argue with anyone blue in the face. Hmm. 
They've won. What have they been in now? Four, four out of the last five years. If you just want to look at this five-year period, it went on for ten years before that. So they're they're the, they're the best organisation and had the best run as a club team since the Dragons in the sixties, in my opinion. That's it. It is what it is. So I don't see why they'd want to end it. If he wants to play on, Bellamy wants to coach on. He said he'll coach at least for another year. Uh, I, I could really see next year being the swan song where they he sort of goes, okay, Bellamy's going to go out. I'm going to go out. But he's going to have someone definitely to pass the baton on to because they're both both those hookers aren't going to be there. I don't know, the whole Harry Grant thing, I, you know, he, he played well at the Tigers, yeah, but is it a little bit of fool's gold in that he played in a side that wasn't that great? Well, that's the other thing, I think. Um, how does he slot in with Melbourne? Does he mix with the halves? That's my point with the Dalian votes again. He does was, does it then go to... He was leading. That, that Smith goes, well, you know what? Like, maybe I want to play lock. Yeah, he was leading, but he wasn't the best player in the comp. And if he ended no up way. winning it, if they won enough games, I wouldn't have sat there and gone, Harry Grant was out and out the best player in the NRL this season. Yeah, I'm not taking any away from Harry Grant. I just nah, he, he was good. We haven't seen him strap on the boots for Melbourne nah. for a and season. Setup. Yeah, for twenty rounds or twenty four rounds. It's easy to fall in love with it, looking up. from afar oh. and what he's doing in a Easily. side that is, let's face it, is pretty ordinary. Yeah, and no one's Cameron Smith. No one. Absolutely not. So, I know what I, I know. What's proven, and I know what's. Uh, you know, the tried and tested, and that's Cameron Smith. Yeah. Tackle four. I certainly wouldn't talk about it, but we will, but not in the vein that has been spoken about. But this talk around movement of halves. The, like, the Flanagan one, understandable. They've clarified it. It's out there. The Bulldogs have made comment. It's more than likely that he's either there for next year or if he gets an offer, they're comfortable with their situation with the Roosters, he moves on and it's possibly to the Bulldogs. But the talk during the week around Pierce and then Moses, and suddenly a swap there, or then on the flip side of that, if it's not a swap there, Pierce going back to the Roosters. I don't know where this has all come from, and it's easy to draw a headline, but from a Roosters perspective, would you would you want Pierce back at this point in time? Would that be a path you're going what, down? What, and, what, what rabbit hole do you want to jump down? And, and from a Newcastle do you want to jump perspective, down on would the, you swap Moses for Pierce? Because I wouldn't. There's three different narratives here. Number one is you want to talk about the development of halves and the same same of halves in the game at the moment, apart from a handful. Do you want to talk about the horseshit that it is the cheap journalism that goes on, where yeah. everyone acts like they know who's going where? Or and and the other side of this is the whole contract rabbit hole. Yeah, and the whole that was my whole thing. About my, rabbit hole about if you want to play managers, even hypotheticals and some of these, that's all well and good. That's more what I'm looking at. But yeah. I'm looking at I'm going, the, the whole half whole, these don't seem plausible. The Kyle Flanagan one, it's going to come out, and, and I don't know either way. I'm not sitting here on a, on a soapbox telling you that I know what the issue is, okay? But the issue is one of two things. A, there is a an issue in terms of personality yeah, group, and group dynamics, right? The other one is he's uncoachable, and he's just not developing the way that they would like him to develop. Now... If you really, if you really want to look at what good development looks like, you need to go and look at the Panthers. You need to look at what they've done with Luai, what they've done with um, Cleary, and it's an investment for four or five years with young halves to teach them how to play NRL football. Because even if you go and play New South Wales Cup or Canterbury Cup or whatever they call it, it is half of what you're expected to do in a pressurised NRL environment 
And for the last 10 years, and I've, I've spoken about this for as long as we've been on the podcast, we have developed halves who played a structure. And, for, you know, all, all we wanted was, you know, fuck boys, we land here, we're going to play this, we're going to play this shape. Land on a short side, we're going to play this shape. Land on this tram, we're going to play this shape. We're in this side of the, the ruck, we're going to play this shape. We're in this part of the field, we're going to play this shape. And they've just been fed shape and structure for the last 10 years as halves. And then now all of a sudden, click a finger, the game changes, structure isn't as valuable, and you've got a whole heap of these players, these halves now that don't know how to play. And I think it's a, it's a huge problem for the game. And it's it's you can you know you want to move you move Pierce okay you move Moses okay you move Flanagan okay same problem yeah they're all structured halves doesn't matter you're just plugging someone else in with the same um <clears throat> the same skill repertoire and you've I, got your few outliers like a Munster who can this play whole shit or also Jerome about Luai or a Dylan Brown like there's not many realistically that adjust well to reactive football or all. On the run football, those natural guys. Cody Walker is another one. Jack White and the way he plays six at the moment. These are the kind of guys that have that thing that you can't teach. They just play eyes up. They see numbers. They know when to run. They know when to pass. They react a lot more than those other guys that you're talking about that have a brain fade or just absolutely melt down when mm. they go to go for a set piece and, and things don't work out. Or yeah, they don't I'm look not going to go down or... the rabbit hole with uh, with Flanagan because... What I I just think there's something's awry. And something's yeah, gone to me, wrong. That's a fate complete, and you look at done. you look at what happened to the Roosters. You look at the way they slid and exploded. I think there's just more to what meets the eye there. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. I'm but not going to try and guess. Not the only reason to blame. No, but I, I also think from the from the side as a whole to fall down the hole like they did. Mm. I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to try and guess. No. But the fact that they've moved on him fairly quickly, well, I think says decision, yeah. says a lot about. They're not even going to give it 12 months. It says months. a lot about, yeah, the fact that they're right off it. Mm. The who, what, when, where, how and why, I don't know. No, that's my And I'm not going to make it up. I don't know. No, we don't. And it will come out in the in the run. Was was he to blame for the Definitely Roosters? Not. Definitely not. Is he worth a shot for another club? Definitely, I think. But he's, a baby. he's, he's not going to be good in one year, two years. No. He needs to play 100 games in first grade. If you really, really, really want to put some time in and you really want to develop halves and you really want to set yourself up as a club to be successful long-term, you need to develop halves and you need to not move them and you need to not quit on them and you need to not just think that you're going to be able to click your fingers and have them be... Well, this is my point. We talk about Nathan Cleary two years ago. I wanted, wanted to bash him when he made year. his origin debut. They wanted to quit oh, on Nathan last you know, year. Maloney and he's fucking, he can't play. Maloney and him didn't work together. As soon as he got his reins on it, we've given him three or four but years. But it's not even about that. It's not It's not about whoever he was partnering with. You know, you no, go and watch the games he had in... Him last you, year. You go Everyone and watch the games him. he had in origin two years ago and you go and watch the way he played compared to the way he's playing now. Massively different. Very different. And your point because is... Because he's developing. If you're going to go with somebody and you're going to give him time and it doesn't work out, that's different. Like, people to me that kicked up a stink this year about Croft. Croft got two years plus half a season the year before and he was in the pathway for four or five seasons. When they moved on him, they moved on him for a reason. A lot of yeah, people were, oh, they didn't give him a, well, didn't give him a chance. What do you mean you didn't give him a chance? He had two and a half full seasons, two full seasons to hold it, couldn't hold it down. Multiple different chances of development and tweak, tweaking things. And when you get to that point, you move on. But originally, yeah. they uh, thought and, that and was the answer. The that Tigers the have uh, the Tigers have done it with Luke Brooks. 
you know, this is a massive year coming up for Luke Brooks next year, and I feel like we've said that for a couple of years. But I think as well. his is more on the flip side. That cattle. sometimes is he he's never had the cattle. I think if Luke Brooks was to go elsewhere, he's one of those guys I look at and think if he was. Yeah, but organisationally, they may just go. Well, look, we're we're going to move. We, we feel as if like I'm that's Luke Brooks, the problem. I'd want to move. Mm. I think he's better off moving. Yeah, because I, I I still adamant the other way that I've seen enough. But I'm glimpses. using this as an example of yeah. when it it can be that we've we've developed. And we stuck by and, and did all the all the different things that you would say is good development, but the results aren't quite there. Mm. In the end, you end up wearing that result whether you like it or not, and that's okay because, like you said, he may go somewhere and be super successful, and that's it's not a knock on, um, on Brooks. It's just more about comparing how sometimes develop, development yeah. doesn't work. You know, and, and and maybe it is the club, or maybe it is the cattle, or maybe, for whatever reason it doesn't work out. I really do think that whoever goes and buys Kyle Flanagan will get a bargain. You'll get him at the right price. You'll get someone who was just as sought out as Nathan Cleary coming through. Played as much rep footy and um, I think he played Australian schoolboys as well. All that, but I think it proves the so point you're making. I it. think they just really need to invest. Invest some time. Invest another, what is it, 60 NRL games in New England? Two years? At least two seasons. And then you're going you're gonna to move to where you're really need to go to. The the uh, Mitchell Moses one is simply, again, not developing well enough. He is stuck in this sideways structured style football. He needs to develop those other strings to his game. I, I again, don't think he's someone that you would quit on unless you feel as though you could trade him or swap him for someone who is going to give you a better chance uh, straight away. Otherwise, you, you certainly don't go and throw him in the bin when you don't have someone as good or as further down the road in terms of development. Um, you just you stick with him. The Mitchell Pierce one, eh, it's an interesting room. I just don't know how that works from a salary perspective. To go to Newcastle, if you said to me now, I, and I'm Brad Arthur, I could swap Pierce for Moses. That's a really, really hard question to answer. Um, I do think that Pierce would give you tougher defence, better kicking game. He'd take the line on a little bit more, but you know, if you're trying to pair him with Brown, that'd, that'd give you two running halves. And you know, his strength, uh, I don't I, think I, I think Pierce has kind of gone away from the running, you know, honestly. Watching Newcastle yeah. this year, I, I think he's more at that back end where he is more and, get you know, to if points, you're Newcastle, here, do you really want to mix Moses with Ponga? I think Pierce does a good job of, of helping Ponga around. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know whether it's true or not. No, it's just more In terms of who'd swap who, like those moves, would they, I do they don't really any... think that one of them is going to make any of those teams any no, I don't significantly think better or hugely. jump them straight into a premiership. A premiership. I think the biggest benefactor short term of all of those would be Parramatta. But if they got Pierce. It's not a long term move. Mm. I think it's a short term stop. Might work for 12 months. But after that, I think he's on the back nine. Yeah. Yeah, he's played a lot of football. Right. He's older. Like if you wanted a more steady game manager, like you said, better defender, someone you think could. What couldn't Flanagan get? Free things. What couldn't Flanagan go to Para? Well, I think again, you're more talking similar kind of situations as far as dominating a game, controlling it defensively. Probably he's a little bit further back off all those pegs. And if you compared him and Moses, I think they're different players. I think he's more of a genuine seven. I think Moses is still more of a six that they've tried to force. Into being a yeah, seven. but that's my point. I, I look he, at that and go, well, I've got so a six, 
And then I'm trying to mix him with someone who you just said is a yeah, six. He's gone like so if you far got, away. If you from... got Flanagan, he's a seven. You mixed him with Brown. They're both young. They're both developing. But Moses but has literally gone to the opposite of the I'd spectrum. I'd have a look at that. Coming through the juniors, he was this erratic. You're going to pay him less wedge. Who could chip and chase or grab her or do this on the third play or just had no control. Now I feel like Moses literally is a professional kicker at times and won't take the line on him, won't run the football. He's gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. I think he can get back to where it is. But again, we're at a point similar to what you're talking about, the Brooks thing, where I think he's had the opposite. He's gone to a better environment, and we've seen one better season out of him last year, but I still didn't think it was to the point where others said he would play Origin. I still didn't think he was Origin standard. Yeah. I think we've seen a better product of him in a better environment. But if you said to me tomorrow, okay, if Brooks had that environment and Brown next to him and that team doing who would do better, I'd honestly, I still probably prefer Brooks. And a lot of people probably sit there right now going, you're a fucking idiot, but... I've only seen him at the Tigers, and I don't really know what quality he's had at the Tigers while he's been there. And others will go, oh, what about when he had Woods and this, but and that? Like, like, we're talking years ago now. And even, I think, a couple of those guys, in particular, him, Moses, Woods, all together, we're, we're overrating it. And we also look at players now based on the fact they played at a club years ago. I don't honestly think, like you said, he's had the best opportunity. From their perspective, like you said, after a while of development, I think you're more cut bait from a salary cap perspective if you think you can't make it work. I think he is probably better off somewhere else. But, um, yeah, on the half situation, we've gone down a completely different rabbit hole. But hypothetically, when those all came out, I, I couldn't see many of them happening. But of that, that, that main one between Pierce and Moses has kind of looked and thought, I don't know if this makes sense. But it's not sense. a simple... You can, you can sweep across it and we can just keep going around this fucking roundabout we always go around in terms of, oh, he might go to there and he's not happy. Oh, and this, this, No, I'm just saying yeah. that's how these things get oxygen. Yeah. But if you really want to cut it, You've got to look deeper into the issue. Yeah, I'm with you. And the issue is, is not just about one player. It's about, you know, where they are in terms of development, the club, yeah, the, the career, salary, who salary they're playing cap, with, they all play of that. With, how's yeah. it mixed? And like I said, if you want to be realistic, if that's the main one we're talking about, because Flanagan, for all money, he's gone. He's gone. I don't know where he's going. He might not be there for 12 months. He might be the Bulldogs this year. He might not where his dad is. But again, might, 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 might. The might. other two, if you want to just go a straight up head to head move to the point you're making, I don't think it works really for either team. Parramatta maybe for 12 months, but I don't think it's a long-term solution. So my point before was more, if you don't think Moses is the man, I'm looking at someone like a Burton. And like I said before, for everyone that keeps saying, oh, he'll go to the Bulldogs because of Barrett, this, that, and the other. If I'm a manager of someone like Matt Burton, much like Charlie Stones, who just stayed at Penrith, the last place I'm sending my client for long-term development success right now in their situation and their time in life, unless all I care about is short-term money, is the Bulldogs. I would not send my play to the Bulldogs. If Matt Burton isn't released to go anywhere next year and plays some cup or gets some games and, and looks as good as what a lot of people thought he has or, or what I th- how I think he looks, you can't tell me that the only option he's going to have is the Bulldogs. If Brisbane don't have things work out, if Parramatta aren't off Moses in 12 months and he's off contract, if Melbourne don't have somebody, there's going to be multiple clubs that are going to be after him. Yeah. So right now, if I'm Parramatta, you've got... Two more years left. You've got this season and next with Moses. I'm rolling into this season, and this is it. For Newcastle, on their side of things, I think this is more all sprawled from an apparent contract extension at the start of the year. They're going to pay him top wedgie again and extend him for two more years, and after the year's played out the way it has, and they've had a little bit of a sit-back and a thing, they're now talking more a one-year extension, possibly the two, but they want to cut the pay packet down, which I don't blame Newcastle. Mitchell Pearce is not a million-dollar player for six, seven hundred or what they're talking, if he does what he does for the side, 
and you can get another quality player and I'll spread that money out a little bit, yeah, I'm happy to pay that for Mitchell Pearce. But I wouldn't pay a million dollars. No. Agree. There you go. Tackle five and tackle six to finish this off will be the season reviews for the Canberra Raiders and South Sydney. Starting off, tackle five. We'll go with the Raiders first, Boxhead. Uh, COVID hits. We come back. A couple of people go absolutely off their rocker because they play Melbourne first up and get a win, which is ridiculous because we had 17 weeks left. Declare them the new top dog, best team in the comp. Hodgson off that performance is better than Cameron Smith, rah, 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 which was a complete overreaction. Things, as we know, 17 rounds to go, can turn very quickly. And for Canberra, that was the case. They started off quite well. Slew of injuries. Horsberg has the foot injury. Gula, who's developing nicely, has an injury. Simonson, who they'll start to work into the back line after Rapana had come back. Injury. Uh, and the biggest one of all, Josh Hodgson blows his ACL. So at that point in time, most are thinking they'll slide into the bottom of the eight, but that's probably the end of this side. Their play's gone. But we see, as we always see across the year, swings and roundabouts, guys that are in your 17, that aren't in your 17, someone who gets an opportunity to emerge. And I thought that was the case for Canberra and probably proves more to the point of what they've been building for the last couple of seasons as far as depth, culture, club and squad. Um, that, that At that point, well, like I said now, I think they're going to be conducive most years to be a top four sider around that mix. Jack and George developed further. It probably put an onus on Jack to be a lot more dominant in games and those two guys to take more control. I think they certainly did that. It gave Starling an opportunity to get his hands on a starting opportunity or more football behind that forward pack, which proved very, very fruitful. Papali stepped up in a big way. They picked up Harawira and Naira. Bateman came back in, which, you know, you've got not only back one of your best players from last year, but you've picked up somebody who's an international who's going to replace him next year. Um... They debuted six or seven kids across the season, which is another thing that credits to their development, which puts you in a better situation uh, moving forward. I think Harley Smith-Shields, Jarrett Sablu, I only got like one game. Tomoko got a couple of look-ins. Valame, we saw, who's still very, very raw. Darby Medlin, Kai O'Donnell. Like, and I think on top of that, the halves in the last game, like Williams and Afrol are guys that you can bring in and do a job for you at times. So I realistically look at this at the end and go, Great development across the board. An emergence of a few more of the guys at the top end of their squad. Less reliance next year on Hodgson. And if they can mix all of that in particular with the way Jack played and him being a more dominant figure with George, Hodgson, Chans, Joe, Papa, you know, the squad overall is set for another push. I think their window's still open. Yeah, I agree. They're going to get better. I really do. They lose Bateman, but... Easily, got I think they've got Harawira, the way Hudson played. They've got two replacements there, depending mm. on they've how they play. They've got good SG ball, good 20s players. So. Gouler and Hurlsberg straight back into the mix. There's two more guys on your bench or fighting for your starting pack. Topine's form along with... My, my only concern is OBs, outside backs. Well, I'm going to throw it out there again. A lot of people hate me for saying it multiple, multiple times. I think the weakest link in their back line is still Jared Croker. It's no, my I think Jordan Rapana, by far. Yeah, I don't think he's a long-term part of it, but... But with Kotrick moving on, he's played on the wing for them. They obviously haven't played in the centres. Like, I would have played Kotrick in the centres well before I played Rapana. Agreed. And yeah. I think also on that side, moving forward, I, I would have been happy to have Kotrick play in the centres. I, I know Canberra didn't want to go with that, and they offered a little bit less. I, I think he should have stayed. I really do. So, But as far as replacing him, I think they've got options there. I really do. I think... Yeah, I'm not sure they do. Tomoko. Enough, to, enough to win a comp next year. That, that's going to be the question. If they can 
bump a couple, you know, and find a few that are, you know, of your the status of a To'o and a, um, a Stephen Crichton, etc. Then they could shoot right up the table. You only look at what, you know, a few of those young guns coming in and being real superstars can mm. shoot you right up the table. And I, I think that's what Canberra are waiting for. Maybe just one or two more to really step up to that elite level. And we're going to talk about South again in a minute. And I think they're in a similar position. They're just waiting for a few of those that they've lost. You know, this year they obviously lost Hodgson. And South is still trying to re- find the replacements for GI and um, Sam Burgess. Because if you've got GI and Sam Burgess in best form this year, they're, they're making the eight. Uh, sorry, they're making the grand final on the weekend. Um, well, I think... And again, my thing's not Jared's all-round game. I think in attack's still good, catch-pass still good. I just think defensively, it's been an issue for a long time. And at the end of the year, when Rapana went there, it became a bigger issue. I thought they had holes on both sides of the field. But as far as what they get out of their outside backs, Valamay probably, you know, raw, needs a bit more development. But I think guys like Tomoko, Yahali Smith-Shields, these kind of guys, Simon's going to be back in the mix. They've got options. They've got young guys, like you said. They need one or two of those guys to kind of spring out of the ground. But as far as what they're getting back in a Gula, a Horsberg, etc., what they've built with inside their 30, I think they've got good depth. They've got coverage in halves. You've now got Starling as coverage. I think they've got all positions covered. So the real two big holes, Kotrick and Bateman, I think both. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Covered. Kotrick's probably a harder one to cover, even though Bateman... Probably is the one that most people are looking at going, well, he's been an absolute superstar. They've got a New Zealand international and one of the best young back rowers up and coming. So they've got really good options there. Overall, yeah, squad's looking good. Market moves for next year, I think the only move they've made so far was they got Aikens coming in from Penrith on a one-year deal, which is just good depth again. You've got coverage on positions. And the other one I only just remembered, actually, Ryan James coming down on half the money. So. Yeah. That's another forward adding. Yeah, if he can so, stay fit, he'll be. Yeah, if he stays asset. fit for half the money for what they paid, um, he could really help out in that middle rotation. So definitely got a good competition there, forward pack. Probably more like you said, the outside backs. Yeah. And throw Hodgson back in the mix. Good year, good situation. Um, not the greatest way to finish up on the weekend, but to lose those kind of players and adjust the way they did, I think massive ticks all around if you're a Canberra fan. Exciting times ahead. Yeah. But I've said, I think they overachieved this year. 100%. Said it for years now, that, that the, the defensive side of things I thought was really, really good last year, but I still think there's a hole in their outside backs, mainly defensively. And it needs to be fixed. Yeah. Because in big games, it gets exposed too often. Um, yeah. Off contract for them now, Rapana, Matt Frawley, who was on bugger all, Sebastian Chris, Michael Oldfield, Baptiste. Baptiste didn't play. I think we'll see him gone. Frawley... He was there on the minimum comeback. I think he'll stay on the minimum. Rapana is talking about wanting to stay. He's willing to take less. They'll probably sign him up again for depth. Oldfield, they seem to be a fan of. And again, I don't think he's looking to venture out. I think a lot of those guys are quite close. So it kind of works in Canberra's favour if they just want some squad depth and cheap deals. I think the only one, realistically, who might miss out is Chris, who I think had some health issues this year and didn't play much football. But with the other kids they've got coming through, 
if someone's going to get bumped, he's probably the one. Yeah. But, yeah, good result. Uh, definitely overachieved, I think, this year. South, you know, didn't really think they were going to end up where they were, that's for sure. Didn't see a whole lot of it through the year. Ups and downs. Patchy in their performances at times looked like, as we said, mainly the forward pack weren't going to be able to generate enough to get Cook going, which then in tail would unleash that red-hot back line. They spent huge money on outside backs. Uncle Wayne went out and gave $600,000 to the Jet, which I thought was ridiculous. He ends up out for the season. Uh, Brady Burns, who I really like, gets injured out for the season, and we see what we said before, what people look at at the start and see a 17 adapts and changes over the year, and I think I think they ended up getting to probably what was their better 17. Colin Matungi being introduced to the bench was a real point of difference. Getting in Allen at the end there when Luttrell will come out, probably threw another spinner in the mix moving forward as to places in the back line. Campbell Graham playing in its centre probably proved as fruitful, if not more so, and especially defensive compared to what they had there, even though he had some errors at times um, in that situation than what they had with James Roberts, who was definitely a model of inconsistency. But I think by the back end of the season, you know, Ethan Lowe replaced by Sirenen. Unfortunately for him, he's been forced into retirement, but I think Sirenen turned into a really good player. Sewer went back to looking like the guy we saw at Brisbane. Murray, I think his best football come at the back end of the year. Cooks come at the back end of the year. Cody, Reynolds, it all seemed to fire off the back of that first big win over Parramatta. Um, and they kind of found their form and just started to you know, play a bit more free-flowing football. They adjusted to the rules. They moved the ball around the middle a little bit more. Uh, they probably started to overachieve for what we saw in that forward pack. And again, lots of ticks for guys like your Tatolas. Thought Tom had his best year. The back row that we spoke of, Sierra and Colin Matungi on the bench. But I think moving forward, I look at it now and go, okay, they definitely need to offload one or two salary cap-wise in the back line because they're way too top-heavy there. Allen, if he's not your fullback now, would Latrell play centre? They want to extend Latrell. How much do you pay Latrell? Is he still your plan for fullback? You know, I look at that. The spine's probably a little bit settled, but again, we've gone to three prelims in, in a row now and we haven't got the job done. So you're that, also not moving backwards. You, you've people stayed. say, well, you're not moving forward, but you're you're yeah. also not moving back. They've been either. stagnant for a few years, but I think that window is going to come soon. Like they're not getting any younger. A couple of those guys in spawn. Hmm. Um, Arrow comes in next year, but does that fix the problem you've got? I don't think it does. I think they're realistically one big bopper short, and we said that this year. Well, we too. knew that at the start of the year. Yeah. Tatola and Tom overachieved, and Colin Matangi made a difference near the back end. Some weeks there, Nichols and a few of those guys. Punched overs, but you look at a game like on the weekend, and I thought I'm, I'm, with Penrith completing probably at 80 plus and being a little more disciplined, I don't think they're even in the arm wrestle. I really don't. And in particular, that big hole there is in, I think, the forwards. Outside backs, I don't know how you offload that jet contract. I think it's going to be hard, but that's the obvious one right there. But in most places across the field, I think they're right. They found some good guys that can plug in. And do a job for him. Sirenan's done a job. Sewer's doing a job. Murray's only going to keep getting better. Um, the halves set up. The spine. I guess, yeah, your only real questions there. Is Luttrell your one? Can you put Allen on the wing? Who will take Jed off you to free up some money? And can you get it on the middle? Mm. And if you're going to get one, who's available? Or are you going to try and force somebody out? Well, you just, yeah, you got to wait for that to play itself out, don't you? But no, I, I think they had a, a successful year. I... Yeah, they overachieved at the end. Prior to COVID, I had them winning the comp. Uh, and then, you know, I sort of jumped off them. And, and you know, you, you consider they lost the trail and they, they lost some players. And 
they continue to get better despite losing players at the end and they were right in that preliminary final on the weekend. Maybe with another 10 minutes, they, they even win that game. It looked like the clock only really beat them in the end. Uh, they were really surging. So, you know, I'm not sure whether they would have been uh, as good a competition for Melbourne as what the Panthers will be because we, we would agree that Penrith were a little bit off on Saturday night. But the fact that they're again and competing and riding that game and they were shattered like, Damian Cook was in tears after the game, so I think they're a, they're a really hard-working, committed group with a lot of mature players who are at the you know the peak of their powers in terms of their career. So yeah, they're they're well positioned. They've just got to you know make one or two key moves to improve their roster and yeah you know, get rid of that one or two contracts that you you look at when you're looking at your top thirty. And if they can work some magic there and improve. Uh, they're only going to get better. You think they'll look at Arrow as a front row? They're going to have to. With Murray being there. They're going to have 13. to because Murray's best position is locked. Try and play maybe Totola and Arrow and then bring on Tom Knight and mm. Kalamatungi and I, I don't know. Like, and look, Arrow didn't have a great year this year, so. Nah. Um, you think it, it'll be maybe interesting a bit to of see from us, Possibly. No, yeah. I, no I, I don't. I think he was maybe a little bit distracted this year. He seemed more... Con- Content mucking around with his hair than he did. He still focus on playing good footy. A little injury prone as well. The last eight months, just yeah. lots of niggles and small things. So I don't think it's got anything to do with whether he wanted to stay or potentially wanted to go early. I don't know, but um, I certainly didn't think we got value for money out of him this year. There you go. Fair enough. As far as I'm not off- saying it's a bad buy. Like nah. on on best form, he's an Origin player and. You know, the year before he was at best player by far, yeah. But yeah, I think like you said, this year is a little bit off form, and then just some smaller injuries and constant issues, like lots of niggles. It's it's one thing when you have a guy and you go he's injury prone, and they get a, a couple of big injuries, or they have one big injury. When you've got that guy who always seems to be in doubt, or is getting managed, or misses a game here or there, that can be just as well. Look, I'll, so. I'll say this: if they plug in Latrell at best form and Arrow at best form into that side, they can definitely make and win a grand final. I'd agree with you there. I think, yeah, more settling on the backline spots is what I'm wondering about after what they saw from Allen. But mind you, they pushed him to the wing on the weekend. Yeah. Does he end up on a wing? Is yeah. He, yeah. He's I, a I, don't body. I don't think he's a long-term fullback. Yeah, he's a bigger body for yardage. Did he continue with Latrell at yeah, one? Yeah, Latrell. Would or... you extend him, though, and pay him more? Like They're talking about that right now. Like, I don't know if I'd go much more than what he's on right now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I saw enough from the sample size to warrant me going in and giving a, a massive extension. Mm. Particularly when they made a preliminary final with someone else. Yeah, well, that's kind of half my point. And mm. Like the Jet situation, you take that contract in full, which at the time I thought was insane, and now you're stuck with it. I don't think anyone's coming to the party for that unless at least half of it's been covered, and I think no. it's been proved more recently than unless he's been with Wayne Bennett or in that environment, it hasn't worked out. So I, I don't know how they're mm. going to work out with that one. I think Burns is a contract you could move if they wanted to, but he's not not, not on the coin that Jet is. No. So, mm. yeah, I think similar to you. If you take that side and they're going to have the majority of it back, there's just a few questions as to how you shuffle that back line. And Gagai has been subject for 18 months or so now because he was obviously on a huge deal, but I think he had one of his better seasons this year. Mate, he was unbelievable on and on In Saturday particular, night. the last few weeks, yeah. Yeah. They've just got some small areas to address. Better defensively, someone else in that middle rotation. Um, probably a bit better in yardage at times because they do have that lighter 
speed uh, kind of based backline. I, I definitely don't think they're one of the more dominant sides in, in yardage. So maybe Allen moving one of those wings addresses that. Paulo's sort of a bigger body, but yeah, Johnson's not exactly a beast out of yardage. No. But off contracts for them. Tommy Amone off that ACL. He was on basically a minimum. Corey Dennis, Kurt Dillon, Jack Johns, Kai Rodwell. All those guys were either minimum or development contracts. The only one, like again, depending on their salary cap situation, they might plug all of minigame on the cheap if they have no idea. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. Cheap at one end means you can spend more at the other end. I still think there's a big move for them, similar to what you're thinking as well, in the middles if they can form one. Yeah. Unless they think, you know, offload. Jimmy, see if they can get rid of that or some of that and they just move on with Arrow and think they can work with him, Knight, Tom, Tatola, etc. and figure out a rotation there with those guys. But uh, both those teams, I definitely think, punch overs. Yeah. All right. Reviews of the games from the weekend brought to you by Move Me In. And I'm pretty sure a few people would have been on board after the last few weeks and getting mm-hmm. in on board. Why wouldn't you want to save on your electricity and gas? You'd be stupid not to. Yeah. Plain and simple. So, when was the last time you checked yours and how much are you paying for your gas and electricity? In times like these, it's pretty straightforward, like we said before, is if you don't want to be putting more money back in your pockets. As much as you possibly can should be the goal and through Move Me In, you can do that. You can compare your current electricity and gas bills in less than two minutes and better yet, you don't have to talk to a call centre. Ever. No one wants to talk to a call centre. Sure don't. So, get on board and even better, if you can find a deal that's better than the one you've got right now for your electricity or gas, I'll shout you. You know you'll get a $45 Domino's voucher so you can get yourself a nice, big, New York-style pepperoni. Oh, yes. Or how good. Gross. Save yourself some cash. Get some free pizza. Have a look on the Facebook page when we put the link up there. Uh, and also on top of that, very relevant right now on the back of that one, is Penrose Center. We've had a couple more people message last week. Uh, not obviously based in the greater western Sydney in our area, but a couple from the Gold Coast, one from the sunny coast that are looking to get on board at this time of the year where you can absolutely carve up your bills and lace your back pockets with some cash. But there is none better. Get on board. If you're looking for a long-term investment and put some money back in your own pocket with the Penrose Solar Centre and tackle those rising bow bills head on this season with solar energy, there's no one better they're the most passionate team out there, Penrose Solar Centre. They help Western Sydney, Sinbin rising power bills. Find out now. Give them a call, 1800 2930 or visit au for more quality solutions. So there you go. Move me in and Penrose Solar. Tying in together a little bit there, but I'll tell you what, the old solar the other day, she was punching out close to 8,000 kilowatts in the sun, had the dryer, the washer, the ducted, the pool filter, they were all cranking, and it was all free, baby. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. Oh, yes. Storm Raiders, 30 to 10. Um, again, really, really lived up, I guess, to what we thought in terms of having the week off. Had a couple of guys with some niggles. Smith still had his shoulder, and Hughes and a few guys they managed at the back end of the season. 14-day turnaround. They're very experienced side. Majority of those guys have been through this before, in particular the group that's been around, or the majority of the group for the last four or five seasons. Um, and they came out and exploded on Canberra. We've had, you know, a week off coming into finals, but a big run, lots of injuries, lots of change. Got their rest in. Probably coming a bit flat against Cronulla and had to do a little bit more than what they thought to get back into it. 
had a real war against the Roosters, who had a fight back the week before and dragged him into deep territory, but yeah, they basically walked into an energy-filled buzzsaw in Melbourne in the first 20 minutes. They did, yeah. Everything went right. They completed. They didn't make errors. Canberra did. Canberra didn't defend well. Melbourne had all the energy, enthusiasm, played faster, and just took their chances. And right. it was just over. It was... Like you said, it was a buzzsaw. Yeah, and two of the things we pointed out leading into it is like what you're going to be going for. We thought the week before and weeks prior that Rapana looked very sketchy at centre. That Sharks trial where Tracy skipped out and just some of his decisions, you knew Melbourne was going to go there. The left side was red hot. They exposed it early when they basically got that 80-metre try where they played around him and Pappenhausen gets through and tips it onto the Fox. And I guess the other one was we said they'd bomb Valame and they were relentless in that. Yeah. They constantly challenged him. They had pressure on him. They forced errors. They got the ball back out of him. They scored a try down there. And I spoke to what I said about just being defensively poor on the edges where off one of those errors where the ball's picked up with Vunavalu, the fact that Croker and the guys that were in that vicinity somehow let him walk down that sideline, I have no idea how that try happened. Yeah. I really don't. Terrible. Um, but early on, just the energy from the week off, in particular from their forward pack, now that they're back to full strength with Finucane, as I said earlier in the year, I think the one thing that Melbourne definitely do have is an outstanding starting pack and rotation when it's at full strength. Nelson, Jesse, Christian Welch, who played out of his skin, they really set the tempo. They got stuck in. They rolled easily. Nelson, in particular, off those kickoffs after the first few tries, was just absolutely on fire. And then you unleash Brandon Smith, who, honestly, crawls for as many on the ground when he gets hit after contact. He's outstanding. Um, Finucane, it was a mixed bag for him, but better having him back on the field than anyone. But they've sort of been rolling through on that kind of roll. Tino, the poor bloke, had his head sat on a couple of times, but um, their, their forward rotation's outstanding. Yeah, just dominant, fast, physical. And that's probably the concern I've got for Penrith this weekend. Is that I, whether they can just weather that storm when Melbourne get even or a little bit more possession than 50, God, they're a really hard team to compete with in terms of yardage metres and just general running metres. And that equals field position, which equals opportunities to score points. So uh, it was ominous, I would say, the Melbourne performance. But in saying that, I think that was almost Melbourne's best performance of the season. Yeah, but to a lot of... I saw some people afterwards saying they played their grand final. I don't think Melbourne No, played. that's not what I'm saying. No, nah, but I just... When I read that's in, not what I'm saying. I'm I, just saying don't know whether, I just don't know whether they can... I'm not saying it's their grand final. I just don't know whether they can play that well again. And also, the point I would make is what sort of impact did the way that Canberra played and Canberra started have on Melbourne's ability to play that well as well? Hmm. And Melbourne have been a team for years that just... It doesn't matter what the opposition does because... We're going to roll out. We're going to play our footy. We're going to complete high. We're going to start well. It was a focus. Craig Bellamy had spoken about it all week. They wanted to start well. Uh, but I, I don't know whether, you know, when you're comparing Penrith and Canberra, I think Penrith is significantly better on best form than, than Canberra. So I, I, I truly believe that Melbourne are going to have to be good again. Penrith are going to have to improve and be at their absolute best. Uh, and if they are, this is just a ding-dong game. If one of these two teams is off and the other's on, it's game over. Yeah. They're both far too good. But if we get both on best form mm. or both a little bit shaky, it will be close. I just honestly, well, again, my more point of the reference was people going, oh, that was their great fight. I'm like, well, how? That's horseshit. They blew them away in 20 minutes and then I thought they did enough just to see the game out. They didn't shut up shop completely, but they certainly didn't try to rack up a score or 
put them to the sword for 80. I thought they did enough after that, knowing that they could probably just kick and play their way to a victory. Yeah. And they managed themselves well, through it. Well, it became Canberra's job to make the running of the yeah, game. Yeah, and Melbourne didn't need to. So yeah. I, I didn't look at it that way. I was quite surprised people thought that. But, uh, well, they made four errors. Yeah, they completed high, 90% almost. Oh, very, very good. They dominated it to the middle. Lost the penalty count. And I think pumped. a lot of people like, well, Canberra got to their edges and Rapana could have probably passed a couple there to give Kotrick more of an opportunity. I agree with that at times, but also, like you said, the try-saver on Kotrick originally and there was a couple others where Mel- Melbourne scrambled quite well. Hughes developed nicely across the year. I still, you know, don't know long-term if, if that's the solution or he's going to be a 10-year halfback for Melbourne, but certainly a, a much better option than what Croft was and has developed into a much better player. Proved he can play one. Now kicking goals at seven. It's just worked for him. Mm. Munster looked pretty good. He hopped around. He looked pretty confident. Outside backs, pretty solid all around. Um, and Adokar, who I thought obviously a bit distracted and has some stuff going on at the start of the year, probably the second half of the season has been outstanding and solely on the run home before he leaves. I think he's starting to be playing some of his better football. So all things coming together at a good time. And like I said, Dale and all those guys back on the bench, they're close to as strong as they can possibly be. And Pappenhausen, week in, week out, I'm just blown away. I really am. Yeah, he's improving. So He's improving every week. Canberra, uh, disappointing. You said caught flat at the start. Very poor errors. Finished up with 13 compared to Melbourne's four. Some blown opportunities. Poor defensively. That Rapana edge got pulled apart. They went just as hard at the other side of the field. Bullied in the middle in the early stages of the game. Melbourne really did a number on their pack. But again, they've been up for a long time. They've been, you know, had a lot of guys step up, take a more significant role. They've won a couple of big finals games and they unfortunately, like you said, probably just walked into a buzzsaw at the wrong time after a long season. Yeah. And the week off certainly in this one paid huge dividends. It really did. Halves didn't have their best game. Uh, just about everything that has been going really, really well or been a positive factor for Canberra was taken away by Melbourne. Yeah. And in particular, you just looked at the body language after the first three tries that come in such quick succession and they, they didn't look too positive behind the goalpost, unfortunately. But uh, I think it was all summed up realistically with Ricky Stewart's press conference and the way they probably all would have felt um, about that game and that performance and the way their season ended to get to that point and for it to end that way. Yeah. So. Um, I thought it was pretty... Ordinary how he did his press conference and how he walked out. He's got a lot of people protecting him in the media. But, yeah, I, I think if that was on the flip and Craig Bellamy did that, oh, he, would, he, would have, he would have come up with a lot more criticism or come they would have flogged under him. a lot more scrutiny. So, yeah, it's not, not the worst crime in the world, but nah. I did think it was quite humorous the way that some jumped to defend Stewart where they kick... Smith, Bennett, or anyone um, Bennett, or anyone else in all circumstances. This is what I was getting before again about this whole retirement thing. It's like, well, it's none of your business, but they're making this huge furor about it. But something like that, if it was another coach, or if Robinson was like that the week before when they lost, I'm sure they would have gone after Robinson. Yeah. But yeah, I Robinson was outstanding. I thought Stewart said all he. I thought that, Bennett was good as well post game. Yeah. After the loss. I thought Stewart said all that needed to be said in the two minutes, but when the journey went to start asking a question or a few more. Questions at least, um, and he went, yeah, it's probably not the best at that point. And I get it. We've all been there. Oh, I hate, not, I not hate that losing. Level, we I, hate I, losing, but yeah. at the, right at the end of the season, um, you know, just cop a few questions, sit there. I, I just thought it was a time for him to wrap his players publicly and surmise the season. Yeah, I know he probably would have done that internally. 
but I, I do think that only... he's a conduit to the fans. So, yeah. you know, I, I would have liked to have Delves seen him... a bit more like Robinson did about Not so much focus on the negative and, and, and nah. you know, worry about what had been done on the field. And, you know, he was obviously frustrated with the way they played and particularly the way they refereed, uh, the way they defended in the first 20 minutes and was disappointed with how everything ended. But, yeah, I, I would have just liked to have seen him chat about the year and the challenge they faced and just open up more. a little bit. Yeah, just yeah. give the fans a little bit. Yeah, fair but, enough. But not the worst crime in the world. I'm not crying about it. No. And I don't think he should be fined or anything should, no, should be. No, I don't think anyone. I just would have liked to have seen him give a little bit more, that's all. But, yeah, sounding off, huge year for them. A lot of positives, but, yeah, a couple of guys moving on and I think probably... Everything was summed up with Bateman after the game, uh, in tears, and yeah, it's been a hectic. It was two good years to see. It was good. He was in tears, and uh, Cook was in tears for South. It was mm. good to see blokes hurt, and like I, I don't like enjoy seeing people that lose be upset, but it just it it gives you that raw emotion and shows you how much that they wanted to win. It, it's nice, you know. You you sort of compare that to the Broncos players after some of the games this year, laughing oh, yeah. and carrying on. And then you look at that and you go, well, that's that's culture. Culture is what you see and, I think and what happens. For Bateman as well. Um, How probably, people behave. Probably wasn't the greatest start of the year as far as the off-field thing and probably getting caught up with the manager. Yeah. Didn't really do him a lot of favours. And I'm not putting that judgment on him, but he got a little bit defensive and things probably weren't looking the greatest, especially from a fan perspective. I'm sure they were frustrated with how that was all handled. But at the end of the day, to see him like that, now that the two years has done and what he's given in such a short period of time, I'm sure they're all going to miss him. Yeah. Um, and it's not the way he wanted it to end, but... You know, he came back from a pretty bad injury and then having to have it done again and didn't have a bad back end of the year considering the short turnaround. But, yeah, I think it was good to see that given the way to finish on that note um, and showing his real care for the club in any short time there as compared to some of the stuff that we saw at the start of the year with all this whole debacle. So, mm. uh, sad circumstances. But, yeah, Papali, Tapine, Jack, lots of positives moving forward. If they can add Horsburg, Guler and the likes into the mix and sort out a few outside back spots. There's no reason, like I said, moving forward with their squad and the depth they've built, they should be pushing for top four again. Yeah. And that's the challenge that they've been looking uh, looking at and building towards for the last few seasons. But for Melbourne, you know, great game again all around. Forward pack, back. So I think everyone really just did their job. But yeah, there's been some guys this year similarly that have just stepped forward into the light. Tino, who's moving on. Cheese off the bench. Guys in the forward pack. Smith, like you said, just been absolutely ageless. Pappenhausen, those few guys that are leaving. Fox, Sully. There's a, there's a lot of storylines there for them internally that I think just give me a little more confidence than years prior. I think there's there's a lot at stake for a lot of guys, and this group is going to look different in 12 months' time without Sully Arce, without Adokar, who's been there for the last three or four years, possibly with or without Smith. I think there's a lot there internally for them to play for. Jerome Hughes had a great... Good game. Yeah, he was outstanding. One of his better games, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, leaving that one behind. Panthers South. Um, oh, yeah. Funny game of football, this one. We were there, yeah. We went. Uh, not the greatest game to the eye. It was ugly. Plenty of drama because of the circumstances and kept you on the edge of your seat. But honestly felt that Penrith, in my opinion, if they could have completed better and done what they've done all year, which has been one of the better sides to complete and play their own football and bank some of those points early. I thought it could have been really ugly. It could have been similar to Melbourne. I really think it could have been ugly, but it just seemed that every time they had an opportunity, much like the one early, 
where they throw the forward pass or Nathan throws the ball over the sideline when he doesn't need to. You know, they just kind of help Souths out or Souths would get a good kick in off the back of a set where I felt Penrith were just so much better killing their set starts and Reynolds had to come up with a good kick. But Mansour and Toto would just bust them open and they'd roll downfield with ease and put a good kick in and turn the screws. But on the back of that, every time they got into good ball or got the ball in good territory, they'd make an error. Yeah. And or they'd give a penalty or something small to let South out. And it, it just felt that that constantly happened every couple of minutes or every couple of sets. And they could never really you know, in, enforce that strangle. But the bigger part for me watching it again the second time is, and that's no offence to South, but I felt like most of it was Penrith doing to themselves. Yeah, it was. Like, South, don't get me wrong, come out second half where I thought Penrith at 14-6 with all the errors and all the mistakes, thought that they're a shoe in here if they get first points to blow them away. I thought South for about 15, 20 minutes there really got a good run of it and started to get on top of Penrith. Um, they started to open up that right edge a little bit more where they made that defensive decision to put May in instead and they started to give him a bit of drama down that edge. But the turning point for me when everything seemed as though they were getting back on top was Nathan puts in the early kick when they're starting to lose a bit of that yardage battle and set battle, turns them around, they force an error or force an, uh, like a, a kick from a poor position Actually, no, what was I? I think they got an error, sorry, early. They get good field position off the back of that. Yo just puts on a bit of footwork, goes straight to the guts and sets up that try for Edwards. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it really felt like in the second half for a bit there. That, that was late in the half as well. It was sort of with 13 to go, I think that was that try was scored. Because mm. so. it was building. It really was building. Mm. But they somehow... It's the only try they scored in the second half. Mm. South's got the one not long after. Short kickoff. Get back down the other end. Cody Walker, they, as I said, they started to pull that right inside apart when they made that defensive change. Caught him out for numbers. It's a shocking pass by Cody Walker for a three-on-two, but lucky for him, mm. Corey Allen finds the boot, score the try. They, they give themselves one last opportunity, but, yeah, for the last few sets there, Penrith on the back foot, but they most important thing, for all the errors, for all the uncharacteristic things we've seen throughout the year, I don't think they could have played much worse. I thought there were some pretty controversial grounding calls on the weekend too in both games. So that's a little bit of a concern for me oh, heading into the. Um, I thought Ado Cars one was a clear try, uh, and then I thought uh, the Dane Gagai one was. I don't know how they award that after they send that up as no try. Um, I watched the both. last. The last one I can sort of cop, but I didn't think it was a slam dunk. Uh, I think yeah, it was just you know my th- thought on it. I think I could give both, but I thought in particular when they gave Foxes a try and I slowed it down. I thought, I don't know if I can take it away. But I watched it in fast or like moving sort of slow. I thought, yeah, I might see a bit of a bobble. But on the flip side, when they sent Gagai's up as no and I looked at it side on, I thought he didn't have downward pressure. When they flipped to the, the front and I slow-moed it myself, I thought he had fingertips on it. But, mm. you know. Yeah, I thought there was one angle there that looked really bad and one angle that looked really good. Yeah, so did I. So if, if that's the case and no you set it up no try, how do you overturn but it? They take the one they obviously look really good and they justify it. Yeah. But yeah, I thought if that one was a try, I thought Foxes probably should have been as well if it was set up. But um, luckily, in the Melbourne game, it didn't really have a bearing on the result. In the other one, it could it have didn't, had a, it didn't either. But it could have had a bearing yeah, on the result. It's, but it just concerned me heading into this weekend. Yeah, this one though, honestly, Penrith cleaned up those errors in particular the first half where they completed at sixty percent. Uh, they really tried to get to their edges in the first half. South couldn't how do many, it. How many line breaks did Penrith make? He flicked the stats up and have a look at that. It, I think it, it just even... felt like on that left-hand side where um, Jerome. Jerome was, was playing. That they were space. just absolutely 
making breaks well, at five threes. three, but tackle breaks forty. Five three and line breaks. I would imagine that probably four of the five were on that edge. The only other one would have been the O line break. Play the ball speed a lot faster. Better kick return meters. Had more ineffective tackles, probably balanced out along with their misses. But the errors in this game from both sides, 13 by Penrith, 12 by South. Yeah. It was very scrappy. Penrith made as many errors as Cronulla did, uh, Canberra did. Yeah. And you saw what Canberra Still won the game. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me here, like I said, when we were there, when we were there with Penrith fans, I don't think I've seen them play worse all year and they won. Agree. And it was a preliminary final. And again, if that was nerves, if it was overexcitement, those few moments, like we said, where we don't see Nathan throw that cutout pass early where Toto and is off the money or. Jerome usually sums it up and passes back inside. They've got two guys there that probably finish it. Instead, he kicks to the post and it's cleaned up. Mansour's forward pass, like there was multiple. Crichton getting pulled down. They they just felt like the more they got close or every time they got near it, it just got further and further away. But mm. the big upside for me was just they come up with it at crunch time. They defended. They held on. They never got down on themselves because generally when they scored points, they conceded straight away or they were put under the pump. Oh, they're, they're packed to start with for the first 20 or 30. Fisher Harris was outstanding. James Tamio, that's one of his best games in yeah, a long good. time. And, and Coruscant, if you watch this game on replay and just look at the intricacies of the way he plays through the middle, he was dynamite. There's a couple of times there when they'll pin, he picks the right moment, and he gets a six again. He finds somebody flat-footed, plays short, puts someone through space, plays with width, rolls out and generates ruck speed or a line break. There was just so many little moments there where things were in the balance or nothing was doing and Coruscant just comes up with a play. He was he was absolutely outstanding. He yeah. really was. But Yo as well. Said it a couple of weeks ago. I've been saying it for years previous that I didn't think he was a backer. I thought he was a lock. He's moved there this year and it's been more than the success that I ever thought it would be. And said it last week, said it a few weeks ago and I'll say it again right now. To me, he's been better than Trevojevic and he'd be my 13 for New South Wales. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If they're going to play this sort of small ball, or the way you want to go right now with lighter props, you could probably push Jake into that middle role if you want to play that way or bring him off the bench to bring a point of difference. But to me, I don't see right now how Yo is probably not the 13. And someone else I saw during the week was going on about, well, what about Cameron Murray? I think Cameron Murray's value and origin is so much better off the bench as well, just to be unleashed. So I don't see why you wouldn't utilise all those guys and their skill sets, their footwork, their passing game. They've all got it, but... Um, yeah, I just think this season as a whole, Yo has been the best lock by country more. Yeah, he's been absolutely outstanding, and that change has just suited him. I never thought he was quite dynamic enough or bring enough danger on the edge to justify that spot. But in the middle, his footwork and his mobility is just that little bit further ahead. He's long, he's got that pass, he's a bigger body. It's just suited him down to the ground, and this rule change as well is just fed into the fact that he's also a fitter player as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of positives. Edwards, early era after that, so much pressure and a lot of kicks. I thought he was rock solid. Mansour, the, the shit challenge, but his yardage along with Brian Toto, any time they seen pin, both built low to the ground, very awkward, very powerful. Uh, Crichton, probably not his best game. Uh, it wasn't you know, his best game, no. May did his job uh, first half, but second half, a bit more drama with the traffic they ran that side of the field. But... Um, Overall, I think, like you said, they just couldn't play much worse. And I think the biggest question is, for a lot of people, the move for Naden and May. I, I was a bit 
bit confused. I don't think Nay's been Naden's been that bad defensively across the year. No, he hasn't been. Uh, they brought it up to a few defensive errors in the Roosters game. Like I didn't think he got beat up and up. He had a couple of times there where someone got to the outside or he made a bit of a late grab, but his season as a whole, I didn't think it was that much of a concern that suddenly the other night they would have made a change as big as that to counteract it. But I guess that was our question. Now that we know the lineups for this week, do they do it again? If that's the case, do you carry him on the bench this time? Because I don't think you could just have a random outside back on the bench. Mm. I think if you're going to go with May in the centres this week, you can't have Naden there. You'd have Catewell, Leota, Tedavano, and then you've got to figure out the last bench spot, what you, way you want to go. And with who they've got named, you wouldn't be picking Farah. He'd be out of the mix. There's Burton, Mitch Kenny, and Lainu. So if you had concerns about Coruscant's shoulder, maybe Kenny sits there and he's literally only used if there's an issue. If you're looking for a utility, a center, a half, or however many ways they could use Burton, or if they want another middle, you'd pick Lainu. But, yeah, I don't know. If they, if they leave him there, I think he's likely not to get on the field again. They'll play the two middle rotations, and Caitlin would be there to either come on and play some time in the middle, cover an edge, or as we've seen in the past, he's played center wing. He's played a lot of those spots there, and if they lost the half, they'd put him out there in the centers and push May in. But, uh, I, yeah, I just wasn't expecting that move. That's all. Yeah, I think it's more reaction. How poorly Naden played against the Roosters and how he just got chopped up defensively. And they just felt as though South were going to go there and felt as though May was a man to, to slot in there. Would you be worried that you've damaged his confidence, though, if you're picking this week? Um, yeah, it's always a concern. But I, I guess if you're going to drop him last week, you need to do a good enough job to recover him this week if you're going to pick him again. Mm and build him back up and coach him up and be confident that he's going to be able to execute what you're expecting and what you're needing. Mm. Otherwise, you don't pick him. Simple as that. If you don't have a confidence in him, then you you go with who you think is going to give you the best job. Like, all the chips go in now. There's no time for uh, worrying about people's feelings. It's it's all about winning this weekend and giving the team the best chance to do that. And Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether that that is with... Nate and I, I don't, I don't know. I've got my question marks, but it, it'll be interesting to see what Penrith do. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing it's got me. Kick out coming back in, I think makes a huge difference straight away. I don't think Luai uh, looked as comfortable without him. Like, I, not that he, he played poorly, but Catball well, played poor. Yeah, Catball made a few errors. He made, he made a couple of errors. I think. Same for him. Probably not a lot of football this year. Big game. Tried to force himself on it. Noticed a couple of simple drops. But I think Luai plays a lot off the back of the distraction or more of those quick play the balls, which open things up for his running game or that threat on the outside. Kick out outside of him, I just think, makes him a bigger threat running and passing full stop, which also makes Crichton more dangerous on the outside as well. So that's going to be a big in this week. Thought Nath was okay. Again, neither of the halves I, I thought were outstanding. Coruscant was the real difference maker in the spine. Uh, for me, and that forward pack, that trio, Yo, Fish, and, and Tamiya, I thought those guys were all outstanding. Right. I thought the the job Dylan Edwards did, diffusing kicks. Yeah, after the starting start sets where off, he got the ball ripped out. That was he real was worry. unbelievable in that game, Dylan Edwards. Yeah, but early doors for South, you couldn't have had a better start. You get no. an error, you get a strip try, you the shot for penalty, which they missed. Uh, like Everything early doors, firing bullets, and especially kick and play too there, like Reynolds did off the strip play. Um, you thought, wow, all right, they've come into play. But, yeah, for most part of the game, I, I thought they tried to finesse the ball two sideways. They made as many errors in the first half 
Their forward pack was okay, but yeah, as far as halves and their outside backs, it was just too lateral. Penrith worked really, really well from the inside. They're connected. They always had numbers there. They solved just about everything. And realistically, it was only the second half that I thought they got a bit of love moving the ball to the left-hand side there and starting to attack that space where May was and where they'd made that change and as the game wore on. But, uh, you know, Cody coming to things late and had a bit of an influence on the game. Reynolds, I thought he kicked quite well for the majority of the night, especially considering I thought most of it. They were on the back foot as far as territory uh, and their yardage kind of game. But, yeah, late in the game, that foot on the line and that 40-20, that, that, that could have been the season there for the Penrith Panthers. Could have been. That kick would have been huge. But... Um, wasn't to be, and they say it's a game of inches proven right there. Massive. Yeah, big. Big. But best for them. Oh, Cameron Murray was outstanding. Murray had a really, really good game. Great carries, couple of try savers, some real good clean-up work. I thought Gagai was good. Gagai's definitely been good. He was good in the final series. He forced a couple of errors, some big hits, did well to score that try. Uh, you know, Losing Siren early, the reshuffle, losing Campbell Graham. They, they definitely didn't come without their challenges, so I can't take that away from South. But overall, good year, but um, just didn't come together when it mattered most. And someone like Allen, he had some good moments during the year in this game. A couple of errors at crucial times. They made the switch for Johnson to go to fullback near the back end of the game. Moved away to Tola. Had a bit of a knock and wasn't quite himself as well. And guys off the bench that have had an impact... Colin Matangi, I thought, was solid, but, you know, Sele gets limited time. He makes an error. Nichols has been pretty good in that role. He come on, he made a couple of errors and got beat by Yo. So, you know, just it's it's hard to go the long way around the mountain. It's been a really, really long year, and it just wasn't the night. And I guess, like you said, the most disappointing thing is in South Bend is it's three prelims in a row, and they've gone close and two, really close in two of them, and they fought back a little bit last year. But, yeah, you, you just kind of want them to get across that hump, don't you? Mm. It's torture. See how things play out in 2021 for South Sydney with Arrow and like we said before when we did our uh, review. Any changes, any late changes, anyone else they possibly bring into the mix and what happens there. But uh, yeah, that basically wraps us up for this week, Brock. Unlike usual, we would usually do probably the grand final preview nice and early in the week. But given the circumstances issue, thought we might wait a couple of days. Do yeah. a bit closer to game time, make it a bit more relevant. Give it a couple of days for a few more uh, you know, bits and pieces of information to come out. We've obviously seen the lineups today, which most people would have. No surprise, Melbourne. Uh, it's basically the same team they had last weekend, one to seven eight. As far as changes coming out of that one, don't see any. Eisenhuth and eighteen, Momorovsky nineteen, Jacks, Tui Kamika Mika. Definitely can't see Momorovsky or Jacks. As far as Eisenhuth or Kami Kamika, we spoke about this earlier. Unless it is going to be pissing down rain, heavy track, and they're 100% confident in Munster, they might go with an all-forward bench to play the power game. Um, but if they've it. got any doubt on Munster, they'll likely leave Nico, Tino, Dale, Brandon. They can all play in middle roles anyway. Um, and you've just got Nico there more as an insurance policy. For Penrith, we have that one question mark that we talked about. They've got Kickout, obviously, back in the back row, which has pushed... Um, Kate will back to the bench. They've named May on the bench again, but I guess our only real question mark we have on them is, is Naden playing centres? Is he in the team at all? Or do they go with May? And if they do go with May, is Naden in the side at all? Or would you go with Burton or Lainu or Kenny? And again, circumstances, I guess. Do you want to have the extra middles? Do you want to have Burton to cover those positions? You definitely don't think you're going to go with Farah, or if you've got any doubt over Coruscant, you'd probably carry Mitchell Kent. 
But if you're stuck with Naden... Oh, I think Penrith will be 1-17. to You think they'll leave Naden in? That's more gut feel. Yep. So they're basically the only real questions we've got on them. I think Melbourne, we've basically got zero to really deal with. But, yeah. No, I think Melbourne will be 1-17 to as well. We'll get in depth later in the week. See if the weather is still looking to be the same as it has. They've been a bit loose lately, the old Bureau. Mm. Sometimes they've set a couple of days of rain. Yeah, we'll probably we'll record Thursday night and we'll be up late Thursday for Friday. Give you Friday, Saturday, Sunday to listen to it prior to the big one. Um, oh, it should be good. Just before we go, quick look at the odds as to how they first came out. It's $2.10.80 or something, wasn't it? But I think Melbourne got the start there, $1.80. At the moment now, they've gone into $1.72.220 for the Panthers. The line, two points, not that bad. Do you think, I had a bloke come up to me today and go, we won seven in a row. Do you think we should have been the favourites? And I thought... No, if, they're, they're not favourites based on the scoreline. If, if Melbourne... If Melbourne win a close one, they are favourites. Yeah, and I also said to him, it's not Melbourne very, are favourites because of 20 minutes of footy. Yeah, and probably the fact they've been here a couple of times and etc. I said to him, if you gave 220 or 230... I think people probably would have bet it straight into about a dollar eighty or dollar seven anyway. Yeah. If you gave the two dollars one, that's not saying I'm sold I think on it's Melbourne. Just more a reflection of the way Penrith were a little bit off. Yeah. Melbourne were very much on, and that's the way the market looks. Yep. It's not. It's certainly not an indication on how the game's going to be played. No. Two early favourites for the Clive Churchill betting market. No surprise. Cleary and Cameron Smith, four dollars fifty a pop. Yeah. I don't think there's too many surprises there. Pappenhausen at nine. Uh, Coruscant was very good last weekend, fifteen dollars. Yo, twenty six dollars. Coruscant is fifteen to one. Fifteen to one for Coruscant. Wow. And I would have said last week uh, it was between him and Yo, but if you watch the game really closely, I think Coruscant was their most influential, even though he missed uh, mm. that little patch of time. Yo obviously come up with a huge play, but if you watch that game real closely, Coruscant was huge for Penrith. He was. Huge. I think the only Panthers player to ever win a Clive Churchill Medal was Luke Prittis. Hooker. Maybe a little yeah, omen. The other one went to Clyde. Yeah, broke Clyde, won it. Back in the day. Luai, who's been good all year and sometimes outshone, $23. If you think the left-hand side... What about side. Dylan Edwards? Roll down further. Dylan Edwards, $41. Yeah, I'll probably have... I'll probably have a spec on um, Penrith's big four. The four key players. Can't see anyone else wearing it from Penrith. I honestly, I think Pappenhausen's good value at nine bucks. He's great though. That's, yeah. I, I would have thought I'd he sooner might have back been, him before Smith. I wouldn't touch Munster at eleven. I think Munster, just form wise in general this year, hasn't had his greatest year. And if he's got that niggle, but out of, of anyone for Melbourne, nine dollars for him is great. Like Hughes at seventeen, mm-hmm. I can't see him playing. Yeah, like not saying he won't play well, but not to the extent where I think he's the best on ground in a grand final. Um, but yeah, Luai's appealing to me at twenty three for a five. That left side's been red hot all year. Who? Luai. 23. Yeah. As a half. Well, I'll, be, I'll be having a crack been. on all four Penrith key players, I think. At those odds. I don't know like if I'd Appy, go... You can have 10 bucks on Appy and get 150 I mean. if you win it. Appy and Luai, to me, are much juicier than Nathan. Nathan, you need a significant investment. But I'd, I would have a significant investment on Nathan. I think if they win, he'll get it. But I'd have an insurance <laughs> policy on the others. Yeah, well, again, I, I'll I be laying some out. Don't worry about that. If you've got a tenner either way on the other two, one fifty or two thirty, that's good. That's yeah. pretty straight up. If you wanted to, have 50, I'll probably have. Well, I'm probably going to have twenty bucks on Nathan. That'll give me ninety, and then I'll have ten bucks on the others, 
And worst case scenario, um, I, I think one of them will get it if Penrith win. So if Penrith win, I double my money anyway. Well, I'd reckon if Melbourne win, then I'm not going to. I'm not. None of those players are going to get it regardless. So I think I'd have a crack, either ten or twenty on Pappenhausen, yeah. and I'd probably do a five or a ten, but like just ten each on those. And other in the head to head market, I I like Penrith because they're two twenty. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's a really close game. I think it should be a dollar ninety. The markets. Mm. I think it's a pick'em game. I'd agree with you. I really would. But we'll get real down and dirty and in-depth on all things that we think closer to the game. Any inklings, any key things, interchanges, yeah, style of play, week. weaknesses, strength. We'll get real nitty-gritty. Usually we're previewing for a Friday night game. We're not. We're previewing for a Sunday night game. So We'll break up the week. We'll give it another two days and we'll chat in-depth Grand Vaughan. 100%. But for now, you've got the reviews of those games, reviews for the seasons, a couple of topical things that are going on right now. Dally M, Matt. The Dally M. The Dally M fucker. I can't believe it. It was an absolute clusterfuck. The Daily Telegraph. What have you done? Put it up too early. Yep. To be completely honest, it was a debacle. It was in the fair income department. Oh. The answer's a pineapple. Seriously, it was a fait complete. They absolutely the stuffed it. Oh, what about it? I couldn't get over that last whoever, whoever published that should jump on the CD. You forgot one. Heads will roll. And drive out to the middle of the ocean and jump out. Vaughn, heads will roll. Heads will roll, Vaughn. Yeah. I couldn't get over it. When my mate sent me that text, like I said again, it wasn't clear when I clicked on it when it large and I saw it. I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding yeah. me? It's like not even 8 o'clock and there's all the lists, really all the votes, okay. all the rounds. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? No good. Surely it was some bloke on work experience. And they've showed him how to use the IT and he's just sat there. And oh, plain of sense. He's pressed the wrong button going, oh shit. Oh no. <laughs> Holy yeah. fuck. And they go, what happened? I just posted up the Daily M article like three hours early. Shit. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's not good. Oh, classic. Well, there you go. I'd say for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. But I'll say for now... Try, try to get through the next two days of work and then we'll talk footy. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.